Hey, how you doing? I'm good. It's a beautiful sunny day. I'm excited for our salsa later on. Yes, big night of salsa ahead. Big night yeah. of salsa. We we have been uh, learning salsa over the last ten weeks. Yeah, and not romantically. No, no. We've been going friends. to group classes. Group classes. <laughs> not just us two. But we've finally been invited to a salsa event. Yeah, we must be getting big slightly moment. better. It was a very big moment. Big moment for us. Um, um, yeah. Where are we going with that? I don't know. We need to somehow get into Greg now. <laughs> Maybe we just get into Greg. Let's get into that. Let's get into that. <laughs> so our, our latest guest, uh, Greg Chillingirian, who's also known by his stage name, Greg Chillin, is a writer, director, and an actor. And he started off as an actor, you know, he's had a really successful acting career, um, which was quite hard for Yayan to, to be in front really, of. Really tough. Really <laughs> it was tough. tough. You know, he's been in the lead in shows like Da Vinci's Demons, A Discovery of Witches, The Wheel of Time, and most recently, Cobra. How's that mm, make you feel? Terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Look at him with pure envy. Um, but he also made a stage debut at the Royal National Theatre playing Mark in Dennis Kelly's DNA in 2008, which was a big deal. Um and yeah, basically, he, he has recently forayed into directing with the short film George, which Will and I watched and were just like blown away by it. Totally just, blown we, away. We really wanted to get him on the podcast. But not only did he direct, write it, he also was the lead performer in it. And it's achieved much success, deservedly, on the film festival circuit with official selections, including Bolton International Film Festival, Kerry International Film Festival, and the European Short Awards. Yeah, a lot, a lot of what we discuss in this in our conversation with Greg is about that short film. So, to just to give yourself more context, um, we'd suggest watching the trailer below and some of the clips. We we loved chatting with Greg so much. We had such a lovely time. He's just a, a very calming presence. Very calming. Um, and you know, we gained a lot of insight into the reason why he started directing and how he so effectively managed to both direct and act in a project, which is. You know, not an easy thing to <laughs> do. It's really not an easy thing to do. Yeah, we spoke about loads of other stuff like shooting on film. Yeah, he, sh- he shot George on Super 8 and his most recent one on 35mm. Uh, y- yep, and like ad- achieving an abrupt tonal shift in a film, which he does so well in George, and the directing lessons he's learned as an actor, as well as his upcoming project, uh, which we've linked the trailer to below. Yeah, I hope you enjoy. Let's get into it. <laughs> So we thought we'd um, crack on by talking a bit about George, uh, which is actually the film that uh, we saw that caused us to reach out to you because we enjoyed it so much. Um, we really wanted to like know a little bit about the inspiration behind the film. It feels very personal. Um, and I think, was it like it's in development for a very long time that you stayed in, in your talk? So just maybe a bit of background about the film and then talk a bit. Then yeah. We'll talk about that after. Cool. Maybe synopsis as well. Just to- yeah, got it. Thank you. And thank you for your nice comments about it. Um, so George, yeah, it's funny when you say in development, because like, I've had a sort of idea of this story since I was about 18 years old, and I'm nearly 35. So it's been in development, to use the industry word, like for nearly two decades, just thinking about it. Um, so sorry, George is about a sort of young guy sort of having a sort of existential crisis who in, a, in an attempt to sort of shake off his pending doom and depression moves to Amsterdam and meets a girl uh, in a yoga class um, and sort of falls in love and has this whirlwind romance. Um, and then it all sort of comes tumbling down and it's kind of forces him to confront sort of not just that situation, but 
sort of everything that's sort of come before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of, yeah, so years ago I wrote sort of a three-page scene um, with me and my very first girlfriend, who's actually played by Emma, who plays Keone in the, in the film. We were actually together for six years. We're like a old, divorced, married couple now. Um, and uh, Chris, who actually owns um, Slick, who I uh, went to school with since we were like 12, uh, shot it on his camcorder, which probably wasn't a camcorder, it was probably the Canon Mark II or one of his first kind of cool little cameras. And that's Chris Overton, who we've also had on the podcast. Yeah. Yes, I listened. Very good, very insightful. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm here, because I enjoyed yeah. it so much. In fact, I emailed you and said, when I listened to it, I said I text Chris and said, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I've not asked you all those interesting <laughs> yeah. questions. I just never think to ask him, like, the cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we, I had this, I always had this idea, I guess essentially it was the kind of existential thing that I sort of, grew up reading Murakami and all that sort of stuff that had a huge influence on me, but also relationship, the kind of, the, a good whirlwind romance sort of thing. And sort of over the years, a sort of life sort of bashed me around a bit. <laughs> that got a little bit more uh, twisted and jaded. And then I sort of, that's, George was sort of born out of that. Um, but you know, I did move, I took huge liberties on the plot and I took a lot of creative license. Like I used Im- imagery from my childhood. I mm. make up lots of stuff. You know, I had people after the after that screening at Slick asking if I had a bone disease, <laughs> talking about yeah. posture and yeah, kyphosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sort of took huge liberties to try and give the feel like you're sort of watching some sort of semi autobiographical yeah, film. I assumed it was all that was all true. Like yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But no, no. Okay. No, and thankfully with the twist, nothing like that has ever happened Rich. to me. Um, okay. Thank God. Um, but, but it's based on like a person, like the the foundation of the idea, I guess, is based on a very personal. Yeah, it's based on it's based on several relationships, all the good things about them. Obviously, there's a huge mental health element about it that I feel personally quite strongly about. Um, but just generally, this kind of I think the main theme is like the existential threat sort of thing that, yeah. that that's sort of hanging over everyone's head and sort of how we all relate to each other and also sort of unreliable narrator which I've always enjoyed those stories mm-hmm. where you feel you're feeling quite safe and quite knowledgeable and then yeah you suddenly get smacked in the stomach and it sort of yeah. throws you a bit so I sort of wanted to explore that yeah. really it's, it's quite um, a hard I, I imagine that tonal shift uh, was quite something that you talked about, and tr- you know, when you were developing it, because that's quite hard to achieve, and you achieve it so well in that oh, film. Thank you. Because, like you say, it's, it's this safe haven at first, and you're in this whirlwind romance, and everyone's like, "Wow, is how amazing is this?" And then, boom! Yeah. Like, how much went into deciding how to like how to achieve that, how to actually execute that? Yeah, it was super tricky because on the page, I felt like I got it to a place that when you were just reading it, and obviously with my like history and acting and stuff like I felt re- I could read the script and feel like oh yeah we've definitely got the shift there but when we shot it and when we got in the edit excuse me um, I was like ah this is going to be a little bit more more tricky because I'm completely yeah. novice you know it's my first film and never really gone in the edit and things like that um, so thankfully we sort of covered ourselves with getting those sort of empty shots of 
corridors and the bathroom and their two books on the on the seat which I kind of knew that once we did the initial reveal shot I wanted to just pop out into a kind of stillness um, but there was a lot of back and forth on um, sort of soundtrack and sort of how long we hold on the black before we mm. we reveal the next shot so and I did a lot of sort of I guess we'd call it audience testing but I was just me sending on <laughs> whatsapp 30 second clips of that part of the film um, just to try and get a general consensus which I thought was kind of interesting to sort of slightly um, deviate is I've learned a big lesson here with like asking so many people what they think um, and I spoke to a couple of older much older much better director friends who sort of said they've learned over the years to maybe create their thing and then just deliver it and that's what they've decided to give because when they ask people if people feel like they've kind of got licensed to maybe they start thinking, oh, what would I do with this sort of scene yeah, as opposed to how does that affect you when you when you watch it did you they're like mm, maybe why don't you try they get a bit creative with it which can maybe steer you away from your initial is that is that uh, are you talking about like how you actually pose that question to them if you send that clip to them are you posing it as what's this doing to you versus like what do you think yeah yeah it's sort of interesting when, when you say what do you think of this I think if you if you're not very clear on what you're asking them people's input is like hmm I kind of yeah. I'd do this it might be cool to have this or yeah, be more yeah. powerful totally it was this change the film, yeah. yeah whereas if you just say this is it how did this make you feel mm. I don't know just just tiny little things that are probably super super obvious yeah. but I'm a bit stupid and a massive novice when it comes to this yeah I mean like I, I'm definitely guilty of that or getting too much I'm sure I think you are as well yeah, like just definitely. getting too many opinions and then all of a sudden it's like I don't know what I'm doing anymore because I'm you know where I'm trying to make someone else's film maybe you know it's not your film anymore and it's kind of a hard talent isn't it to like know when to stick to your guns on something and trust your gut and also be open and be like oh that's a really good valid point I found that I, I sort of flip flopped I needed a thankfully I had a very strong co-producer in Sophie Jones who would <laughs> put a stop to it and say nope stop you follow your initial idea because yeah. it was right and that's yeah. important that, that people around you who can say that to you is yeah. so helpful to have to that you know she definitely acted as my sort of grounding like yeah this is actually where you started yeah Yeah. don't forget what you were trying to do here yeah do you do that with the writing process as well when you're writing the script as well do you do you send that out for feedback and you're asking instead of like what do you think it's like how did this script make you feel yeah I do I definitely do but I don't do it until I'm like in my head 95% arrogantly certain that I'm really happy with it. Yeah. Whereas in the edit, because it was getting so, you know, it's such a long process and there's so much footage you're going through. And obviously you change one bit, it has this effect either side. I was I was much more, I was doing that much more during the process, but with the script, I'll get it that I'm really comfortable. And then if someone can really convince me about something or I hear it maybe three times instead of just one, yeah. then I'll maybe address it. Mm question as well like just in the script stage as you mentioned that you were you spent some time like getting that tonal shift correct and basically for the listeners this is like the relationship that we have seen in the first part of the film just suddenly changes like quite significantly and out of the almost out of the blue for us as an audience um when you were writing that into the script did that was were you trying lots of different things how did you know that you found like you got it right do you know what I mean? And were people telling you this feels like it comes to out of the blue or, or anything when, when you sent the script out? Yeah, interesting. Do you know, I'm just recognising with George, actually, 
I didn't really sense check it that much with it. I didn't actually send the script out to sort of hardly anyone, I don't think, at least not with the question of what do you think, what about the feedback, because, sorry, I probably should have prefaced this. So I'd, I'd written that initial scene early on. I also ended up writing, I was shooting some ill-fated Shonda Rhyme show in like Salamanca. I was in my, Salamanca? Yeah, in a trailer in wherever it was. And um, <laughs> I wrote a book like an absolute plonker because I'd never written anything before. Mm. This sort of rather terrible novella, <laughs> which Chris, Chris finds hilarious, but it was George, basically. Uh-huh. Mm. So I I knew what the story was by then, roughly. So I was kind of slightly... I'd written so much that when it came to writing it on the script, I felt much more secure in mm. the tonal shifts. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really ask that much. Okay. Um, so no, sorry, the short yeah, answer is I no, just, I didn't. I just think that's such a hard... Yeah, like we were saying, it's such a hard line thing. Like I wrote something and sent it to you, and this was like years ago, but it had a similar sort of like beat change, and it just felt so out of the blue that it just felt wrong, and I right, couldn't right. really get it right. And then, yeah, and yeah, so I was just curious about your your process and trying to get it right. Do you know what was funny? Just to add is that when we were in the edit, so when that when the thing sort of happens, there was sort of three sort of voice because the, the 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 short for people who don't know is all um, first person voiceover narration there was more voiceover over that whole section when it actually happens the twist and we took it out and then we put like one line in then we took that out and we put two lines in Mm. so there was a lot of that going on which was so it was more sort of this sort of aftercare of the moment as opposed to the actual moment Mm -hmm. okay so like how to bring us back in yeah shock yeah yeah wow okay Mm. um so that that was the most trickiest thing as opposed to the actual thing but I guess when you're writing you've got one component that you've got total control of when I was in the edit you've got the picture and the voiceover and the score and it just felt I was that was what was challenging Mm. was trying to juggle get that tone right uh, yeah, so you shot uh, the film on Super 8, which uh, we we loved because you don't see that, really. Uh, you just don't see that in, in, sh- in the short film world at any festivals you go to or any of the online outlets. What was, like, what t- can you talk us through, like, the decision to do that and, and like, why, what, how, you know? Yeah. Um, so when, it, when we first talked about it and I wrote the script and I sent it to Slick and they're like, yeah, we'd love to do this. Um it's we'd actually started a year before and we had I wasn't going to direct it I wasn't going to be in it I was just the writer I'm going to exec produce it or yeah exec produce it um and then I sort of as the process went on I sort of recognized just what a control freak I was about the story (laughs) and you know we had a great director on board and I had a great actor that I'd worked with on board who was going to do it but I just felt like I was sort of in the process, my sort of idea that was in my head was getting lost a little bit. And that's no one's fault except mine because no one's a mind reader. Um, So I sort of took back control of it, sort of put it on ice for a bit. And then it was decided that I would direct it. And Chris was like, and you've got to be in it. So I was like, if I have to. (laughs) So so I was going to be in it. And then it was a way of, it was getting too big in terms of we were going to get a big crew and we were talking about big cameras and I was like, we're losing the kind of lo-fi um, simplicity of what I want this story to be. I want it to be really raw, really quick, really rough, really simple. Um, and Chris actually said, what about Super 8? And I'll be honest, I didn't, back then, 
didn't really have any. I'd heard of Super 8, but I didn't really know what it was. So he showed me some clips. I was like, oh my God, it's perfect because it's, it, it did, it solved so many issues. One, it was because it's got, you know, the kind of grainy stuff. It kind of feeds into kind of the whimsical, romantic um, visuals that I needed, but also sort of alluded to the kind of unreliable narrator element where kind of the burnout thing that happens on the on the screen it kind of like you're kind of watching something but can you quite trust it but ultimately it was a budget thing because you know um we were we shot all around amsterdam which means we could lola vogels who shot the film beautifully had it basically in her jacket pocket and we could all hop on bikes there's about five of us run around Amsterdam, cycle around Amsterdam, quickly grab these shots, jump on the bike, and it was just the perfect sort of logistical solution to uh, what ended up being a £5,000 short. Mm. Shot abroad. Shot abroad, wow. yeah. yeah. And you don't need, yeah, like crew-wise, like you don't need any ACs, right? I think no. you did, did you have any ACs on it? We, had, we yeah. had a, Lola had an assistant, okay. and that was basically more sort of... Um, it ended up being more of a support of like when we needed someone to look after the bikes oh, right, <laughs> so that right, we could right. go and do some yeah. yoga stuff in the grass or whatever. <laughs> um, but no, she just had all the film and had a little camera and it was just, it was me, DOP, obviously no sound, um, Emma the actress, um, one production assistant, um, and that was it. I mean, wow. there was one, so we did, we did two and a half days in Amsterdam and one and a half days in London. And there was an actual scene that we shot here in the hallway there, yeah. which was part of the yoga scene, which was a dialogue scene. So we did have a boom up there. But other than that, it was um, that was a cut from the film. Oh, yeah, it, it, like, yeah, it broke the, yeah. it just yeah. broke the sort of flow of it too much. Okay. Um, and some really dodgy acting from me, which I thought, ah, I have the honour of cutting <laughs> my crap out of this. I can get rid of it. Lucky me, yeah. <laughs> It just shows, though, that the, the story's what comes through. You don't need all of the big, you know, the big cameras and a massive crew. You just don't need it. Yeah, totally. And the story's and true actually, to you. I just got back from Bolton Film Festival because George oh, had its nice. UK premiere there. I did recognise that they all look beautiful. I was just watching one of them. I was like, wow, they're all like, they look amazing, whether it's Super 8 or digital or whatever. And it, again, I was reminded that it's just the story. Yeah. It's literally just the story. Like, the rest of it is the only thing that makes it stand out is a good enough story. Because yeah. even, like, amazing performances, it's like, you can appreciate it, but if the story's not there, it's sort of like, everyone goes, well, well, he was great, or she was amazing, but, like, yeah. the story was meh. So I just think that's the... I, I've come away thinking about future projects that I want to write direct go, just make sure you've got the story, because it's yeah, the only thing sure. that really matters. It's almost, like, kind of annoying if, if the project is you know, looks amazing, but lacking in the story, I'm less forgiving. Totally. You know, like, who gave me that money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How dare you? (laughs) Yeah, and you're sort of teased with it. It's like, aesthetically, it's so beautiful. It's like, come on, hit me with it. (laughs) But it's funny watching, and now I really, can really identify money on screen. Yeah. Now that I've been through the process, before I sort of wouldn't even think about it, I'm like, okay, they've had a crane for that shot or (laughs) they've used a drone for that because there's no way in hell they would have shot it like that. Mm, It's kind of interesting. Can we talk about you uh, you performing in the film and playing the lead? So, yeah, the decision to do that and also like how you do that in practice. Like, how do you direct when you're you're in front of the camera? 
yeah, very stupid idea, really. <laughs> but yeah, ultimately it came back to control. And then I was, um, there was a few things. One is that obviously it keeps the cost down again instead of the pay an actor. I got Emma to play the actress. I, bless her, I didn't really pay her much. That was sort of a friend favour. Um, but in terms of, the honest truth is I really didn't think a great deal about the acting in like any way, shape or form. And I think maybe it's because I just knew the story so well. I sort of, I should have in hindsight. Now, like looking back, I'm like, I definitely should have thought a bit more about the moments and the shifts because I was so consumed with directing and as we alluded to earlier, sort of first ADing the day and making sure we got the schedule down and all the shots down that the acting was so secondary. But actually, you know, it probably served in a good way because it didn't allow for any of my slightly neurotic acting tendencies of like oh, have I got it have I got it right and where do I need to be yeah. I didn't have time for that so you just had to do so it, it. So like, right quick now we need just one shot of George doing this yeah. good good are we good okay got it have we got it do you think we were sharp ish perfect let's take it and that's another thing with the super eight there's no playback mm. if yeah. there was playback I think I might have been in trouble because I would have been fighting my own demons of I, I can get, I can do this better but it was mm. just like we had one take, two takes, and then we were like out of there, moving on. Do you think it was also because like of the VO element? Like you could do a lot of like, you know, the story seems to be like the voiceover, the performance of the voiceover is so great and that holds it like in a way. Like, I mean, you know, you're great on camera as well, but you know, a lot of performance is is voiceover led, right? That's yeah, kind of, totally. Yeah. yeah, ironically, the, the voiceover is sort of very monotonous, sort of unemotional, Mm. which I felt which I felt was sort of needed yeah. to for the sort of dealing with the themes in the in the story but um yeah you're right I think mm. I definitely felt a safety net of like no dialogue here no talking and I know for me from my acting experience like I always feel like I'm better when I don't have anything to say I'm like oh you kind, of, <laughs> kind of nearly believe me there as soon as I open my mouth I'm like bullshit or whatever <laughs> I don't know if you can swear so I definitely felt safer knowing that there was no sound being picked up maybe it was a false sense of security but I just felt a bit safer that um, we would be able to get what we needed to get and we could just move on and, and can you talk about like how did you I guess you kind of gone into it but like directing yourself yeah, I guess you're going into it. You've got to get it, and it's just there's no there's no like anxious thoughts about did I get it or not. It's just there really wasn't. Yeah. In all but honest... did the DP say anything or help you with that or anything like that? No, no, not really. I mean, I'd ask Lola sometimes, like, which is always what I ask any director I ever work with is like, do I look bloody stupid there? Because you know things like walk, like think very simple things like walking, uh, running. Uh, I just can't do just can't do it on camera I lose the ability to walk like a normal human I look like a giraffe so you're being very humble okay well no <laughs> um, but you know simple you cycle very well <laughs> simple things like things that would affect the aesthetic of the shot and that's why I love Lola for this the RDOP because it's also her sort of debut narrative thing she just shot beautiful stuff you can see on her Instagram she just captures beautiful moment this kind of very French sensibility it's lovely um, that's when I would look to her and say does this look a bit stupid it was more the physicality as right. opposed to the performance element emotion stuff 
And also, I guess it would have been tough for her because, you know, old Billy Big Balls being the writer, producer, director, you know. <laughs> actor. To be, yeah, actor. To be like, um, bring it down a bit, you know. Who do you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> Off! <laughs> um, You're fired. <laughs> no, come back, please. <laughs> but also, ultimately, sorry, another thing is not only did I have the safety of going like, okay, the voiceover might take, take care of a lot of this, but I knew that I was going to be in the edit. So it's like, if worse comes to worse, and this is utter tosh, I can just cut myself out of this, mm. cut around this, use a different shot, focus on Emma, who's an amazing actress, someone who can actually <laughs> properly hit those notes. Like, so I was, I was completely covered by the luxury of having control over the edit and, mm. and, and everything else. Mm. Um, I, I bloody wish I had that much control as an actor. I, I, you know, yeah. It'd be so much easier. <laughs> I was going to, um, yeah, like move on to your act professional acting because despite you being so uh, self-effacing you've had quite a you know successful career as an actor <laughs> you've um, you know been in big stuff like Da Vinci's Demons and Wheel of Time and um, yeah we were curious about like yeah what did you take have you taken things from that experience into your directing yeah I think I you definitely definitely without knowing it like and I've learned this more on my on my latest short that I just filmed, um, sort of, I guess you'd call it sort of the, the sort of tone you want on a set and the language and the communication and sort of without realizing it, picking it up on coverage and the shots used and the general setup and running of a day. Mm -hmm. Um, but prior to that, I think before I knew I was going to sort of segue into directing, I, I just didn't have my sort of head screwed on. I was just only ever on set thinking about my performance that I was going to do, as opposed to looking at the bigger picture. Mm. So I found it quite liberating now that I've moved into writing and directing. It's so much more enjoyable now when I am, you know, I just did a thing for Sky and it was the first, I very much knew whilst I was shooting that as an actor that I was now going to be writing and directing going forward. Mm. So that was a much more enjoyable experience because I could actually really watch the director, really watch what was going on that I otherwise would have had my head in the clouds or just my head in my thinking about what I needed to do for the scene as an actor. So, um, so you found yourself like much more present in, into the moment and what was going on. Yeah, and to yeah. all the other amazing components that go to making something. I think as an actor, you're probably quite naturally and probably quite necessarily selfish in that your tunnel vision, just thinking about, okay, I need to kind of hit this beat here for this scene. Mm. Um, so you don't really have the, the the time or the luxury of really being able to relax and see what's, or maybe that's just me being a pompous, mm. uptight actor and, and I'm not, maybe I'm not able to, haven't been able to do that because I feel like I need to just be focused on the acting element. Yeah. Um, did you see, like, did you have direction as an actor out of curiosity yeah. that you that you took on board for your own for your own stuff that you would then give to actors. Do you know what's so interesting? And I also learned this during the casting process of my of my latest short is firstly, as someone who's probably like yourself done hundreds of self tapes over the years, I recognised that when I was casting for the latest short, I knew within the first three seconds if they were gonna be right or not. 
it's just an energy, just a tone and energy. And I was like, wow. And I spent like doing 14 page self tapes and on the 13th page trying to hit this one acting bit, beat that I think the whole tape, <laughs> or the whole is. job rides on. Bro, like before you open their mouth, they're looking at three seconds and going, yep, no, yep, no. And, or, do, or not even looking. Or not, not even looking, looking or yeah. even, you know, and this sounds brutal, but even the thumbnails when you get the tapes up, if, you, if you're really clear on what you know you need for the thing, you just know what's not going to work and what is. Mm. Um, but also, sorry, in terms of directing, it was less. It was my only, my only main no, to speak broadly, was less, do less, do yeah. less, do less, do less, do less. And that's, sorry, that's the note that you were given by these directors? No, that or I, would give to give? The, I would give to the actor, who was amazing, by the way, but... And I wish now, I always want to take a friend with me whenever I do an acting job who can also come up to me and whisper, do less, do less, do less. Because you just forget. You just always forget. I don't know, it's this thing of like, you just, this feeling like you need to give something. It's just like, no, just be true to the moment. Just give less. Don't force it. Don't force it. I'm I'm so guilty of forcing stuff when I act, you know. I, can, but I guess I, on those shows you you have to just in that moment you have to give something right give something. Yeah, yeah. so much going on and yeah. then you just gotta go yeah and I think that's another thing is that the thing I've enjoyed is that I haven't I haven't really had the privilege of acting in, in the things that I write in terms of the style of things that I'm writing mm. I've tended to be acting in sort of fantasy slightly heightened stuff as opposed to your sort of more calm low-key channel four naturalistic kind of stuff mm. which feels that's a, your, more your vibe then. that's more yeah. my vibe certainly as a viewer mm. you know i would never watch anything that i've been in because it's just not my cup of tea genre wise yeah, or yeah. so um yeah i would i maybe if i'd experienced as an actor being in the sort of genre that I like writing, I'd have a different experience. But sorry, in answer to your question, yeah, directing wise, it's I just found it's really understanding how sensitive the camera is, mm-hmm. and how like truly sensitive, and how you just don't need to do so much. Right, right. And that's something that I've l- learned or trying to remember going forward. But you know, yeah. you get on set and you, yeah. you feel the pressure, and yeah. suddenly it goes out the window. I you want to do like a mo- you want to do uh, something bold. You want to be bold. You know, yeah. that's something they say as well. Like just be bold. Make it's a like... decision. Well, I think sometimes you realise, well, especially you know, as you know now going into the edit, you realise that that acts. I always realise I'm like, oh, they gave me so much more to play with than I thought on the day. Or and then a lot of the time you think a certain take is wow, that I felt that, and then you look back and you're like, oh, this doesn't work at all. <laughs> yeah. and, but then and then the ones that you're like, nah, we need to do another take. Yeah. It, that was actually it. there. Yeah, that was it. exactly. Which is why it's sort of this, um, is it Rubik's Rubik's cube Rubik's, yeah. that you can't ever solve because it's yeah. sort of like you think you've you think you've got something, but actually you're never quite sure in the yeah. moment. But I will say as well, Tim Plester, who's the lead in the new short, amazing actor, when we'd sort of, because we shot on film, we'd do one take as written, except the sort of thing that I was looking for. And then it's like, go for it, just do your thing. And actually now I'm in the edit and editing it. Some of the stuff that he did when he was completely free and could just do stuff that he felt more comfortable with, saying words that he felt more comfortable. We've got some amazing stuff. So it's that mm. it's that balance, isn't it, of like bring it down and keep it contained, but then also Freedom. express yourself. Just go and do whatever you want to do. And out of that, we got some really special moments. So I'm really grateful for for actors that can do that. Yeah, yeah. you can just so, give the freedom to just go, basically. Yeah. yeah. 
Did you did you start writing then to kind of take control more over your career and get your not not necessarily maybe get yourself parts that you, you believe more in or, or definitely make not. things that you just believe in? Yeah, so the writing's never born out of a desire to like create vehicles for myself. <laughs> um, I know that's so hard for people to believe when you see George written, directed. <laughs> and hang on, did he play the piano on the credits theme? You know? um, but it genuinely it, it was always just about being able to freely express myself creatively without having to play a vampire (laughs) you know or be confined to an actor on a job you know Mm. it was it was really to to just create stuff and 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 yes definitely there's a massive element of having total control over an idea but um it was it was sort of the opposite of trying to create a vehicle it was trying to which is why george is such a strange one and why i've very quickly started writing and directing other stuff which I'm definitely not in to help cement that and move in the right direction but yeah it was just to literally express myself and tell stories I wanted to tell yeah without being stuck in front of the camera that really resonates with me um just feeling like yeah as an actor you are yeah like you you're totally like giving giving your performance away to somebody else to do as they will almost and you will be directed in a way sometimes which you don't agree with Mm -hmm. so you are you're kind of trying to give yourself to it but ultimately i felt like i was like you know you are you are being molded by somebody else total prop really aren't you right um and that's what's so interesting yeah it's like you can give the most nuanced beautiful performance and that might suit your sensibility and you think, wow, that looked lovely. But the editor, at any point during that process, generally I found they choose, particularly with the stuff I've done, they'll always choose the broadest. <laughs> Whatever the broadest performance was, they yeah. choose that. Do you think that's because, they, I guess on those big shows, they have to fit it into this the narrative, theater, into yeah. the narrative yeah. so they need the broader? I think form. so. Do you then end up, I don't know, maybe subconsciously giving a broader one and then giving a more nuanced one? In that when you're in those kind of situations? Um, I think there's this thing I always laugh with older actors who they always just do exactly what they want to do and the director comes over and says, how about you just try this? And they go, yes, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh, okay. And then they'll just completely ignore it and just do exactly what they want to do, which takes a lot of balls and a lot yeah, of experience yeah. to do. And really you can only get away with it if you're kind of like be, established. Be, be big, yeah, because then the director doesn't won't say, what are you doing? You know, They're just like, okay, that's what they're... That's they're giving us permission to only use this basically. But you know, when you're younger and less experienced like me and lots of others, it's like you, yeah. But no, I, I would say I'm never trying to keep it broad. But um, but you just sort of succumb. Like you sort of go away every night, going, I'm probably going to look a bit stupid here. But you know, this is what you signed up for. Sort <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I had experience. I had one experience where I did. Um, film and like I was directed in a way which I didn't agree with but I did it and then I was really unhappy with how it turned out was so, it my film? No, <laughs> no of course not no you've seen this film you've seen this film oh yeah you know what I'm talking about I think it was it really is. big it was really okay, big okay yeah 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 and um but I was just so unhappy with it and I was oh. kind of beating myself up about it afterwards like damn it I should have just done exactly what the older guy said but in the moment I felt well these guys have like hired me to do a job I've got to just do what they want me to do yeah um, and that's tricky because it calls into question like the sort of you know there can be that can be I can give a note to an actor on a, on a thing and they might completely disagree with mine and if and if I really truly believe that for this story mm, to work yeah, I need that true. and they're saying yeah. no I'd be like 
I would be like, hang on, like, yeah. <laughs> with how respect, you, yeah. I've read yeah. this. Yeah. So how would you go about, uh, I'm really, I'm always so intrigued by this because it's, um, it's always a bit, you know, there's always going to be tension there because you're going to come in as an actor or you're going to come in as a director with a view on like how things are going to go. I mean, we had a th- the thing we shot like last week, you know, blocking wise, he wanted to do something totally different. So right. what I wanted. It's very selfish. No. Yeah, it was very selfish. <laughs> but it worked. But it did work. I argued against it, but then we just like, tried it and it was like, wow, it works so much better. Perfect, but yeah. like, if, you are, if you're going in and you're like, no, I, I want it this way and the actor doesn't want it that way, have you used your experience as an actor? Like, how do you persuade them? Yeah. Or maybe it's not even about well, persuasion, it's about what's right for that thing. But Yeah, I think also, also it comes down to making sure they feel comfortable yeah. doing what they're doing. And, it, and maybe sometimes it's not necessarily... The, th- the thing that they maybe got an objection to isn't actually, it's not actually that, it's something, mm-hmm. it's another thing where they just can't quite connect to sure. what they what they need to for that moment. Um, I've just gone off on a tangent because I was going to think of something that you, you're saying how would you find, how would you get them? Yeah, how would you a, get to the place what, that you're, you're, you're happy with? I I've actually when not. That friction. Thankfully, I've not really experienced that too much. Um, Cast Yarn in your next film. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just messing. I'm very very strict on blocking. I don't know. You know, if you'd told me, like, no, 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 I'm messing, dude. (laughs) Let's have have it out right now. (laughs) This is not therapy, guys. Uh oh. Um, I think as well, it's like in casting, right? It's like you get, and Chris says this all the time, you get like 95% of the job sorted by your selection of yeah. the actor you get. Like, you yeah. pick up on their energy. That's why you, back in the old days, used to meet them in the room. So you, there's a kind of, it's to try try and squish any any sort of chance of that happening. Yeah, yeah, but of right. course it's different because on those big production stuff where you've got 25 casts and six different directors over a, you know, it's you're always going to have uh, discrepancies there of opinion and stuff. Yeah, That's the right yeah. term. Well, I was gonna, I was going to kind of go into your your new short film, which you've alluded to a couple of times. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. That's the short film name. <laughs> Good morning, Greg. Um, which you've written and directed, and you just directed it uh, a yep. couple of weeks ago, I, I, yeah. I think. Um, could you just give us a little synopsis of that, and then we'll get into get into the weeds of that. Yes, synopsis. So, um, Good Morning focuses on one sort of four hours of a morning of a sort of 54 year old loner called David who is uh, suffering from a sort of array of mental health issues um, and he is harassing and stalking uh, an ex-girlfriend um, from like two years ago and he's also uh, started to fixate on sort of a local girl in his area um, and he also has uh, a rather trusted and respected job within society that sort of is revealed at the at the end. Um, and yeah, we just shot that f- two three weeks ago on thirty five mil with the amazing Tim Plester of Afterlife and uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and Game of Thrones and lots of really good stuff. Um, so yeah, very uh, delicate. Uh, subject matter and themes um, but yeah feels like felt very important to try and get this story made I think you know there's some you know when I read the script and, and reading the treatment as well 
you don't really see stories like that at the moment, which is basically like the way I interpreted it. It's like focusing on um, a man who is destructive, um, you know, and like misogynistic mm-hmm. and but from all intents and purposes, like awful. But you kind of paint it in a way, You the way you tell the story is like you are acknowledging the fact that he has mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And that there is some, you know, so you're not, you're not dismissing him out of hand. You are kind of, you are painting it, you are painting him in a light that isn't just, this guy is an absolute villain, villain. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's, that's risky because there's, you know, that's a, as you say, it's delicate because there's such a, that's a fine line to walk because you don't want to excuse him, but you don't want to like punish him like terribly, you know, like it's some. Absolutely. Yeah. um, And I think that's really cool that, you know, to have stories like that. Um, yeah, just don't see enough of them, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the film was sort of born out of I, I think it was about two thousand eighteen, where sort of during COVID, I don't know, I was just more hyper aware of the um, awareness of horrendous crimes against women by men. Mm. There was the Sarah Everard and all this stuff, but you know, and it was sort of a watershed moment, particularly in London, and um, I just. I just sort of wanted to explore that. But you're right, it was like, you know, the 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 two women in the in the story are absolute victims of this perpetrator's horrendous, horrendous actions and reactions. But the elephant in the room is that he's also suffering horrendously from mental health stuff. And it, you know, it's a fact that only fifty percent of people have access or ever access treatment for their mental health condition so it was you're right it's that it's that balance of honoring that story but also acknowledging the underlying stuff like that Mm. of course is horrendous mental health issues Mm. that definitely play play an effect and it's right within the script and also now we're in the edit it's really about finding the the balance on that Mm. because you know it's such a rightly so delicate tricky tricky subject yeah um did you did you fear taking that on like this character who is abusive um holds a position of power in society mm. and you know like 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 you said for all intents and purposes is not a, a good person yeah but then i yeah. didn't really because you know we're sort of surrounded by it yeah. everywhere you know yeah. every day you read something like I, I didn't want to shy away from stuff that's clearly happening. I think you want to try and contribute to the conversation. And we're working with, or rather in discussions with partnering with various uh, women aid and men aid charities, mm. mental health wise, and also with the stalking and harassment charities, because it feels like it's a really important thing to A, raise awareness from every corner of that story for anyone affected on any level whether people are starting to notice their own tendencies. Because, you know, during COVID, the whole stalking thing became even more, even more nuts. It's already, I feel like stalking's a bit like death in this country. It's sort of not really spoken about because I think it's hard for people to kind of get their head around. Mm. And it's just sort of not a very palatable subject. Cause it's just like, no, nah, I'm good, thanks. But it's, you know, it, it's, it's a, I've, you know, Unfortunately, got friends who've experienced very similar things. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like it was an important story that I wanted to explore and sort of 
yeah. and tell. Were you, was there not even a part of you that was worried you might get it wrong and then have for people sure. look at it and go, you know, you have created a misogynistic film? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for okay. sure. But um, I just won't let that happen because mm. that's not what the film, that's not what I set out to make the film about. Yeah. It's going to be very sensitive and very delicately done. Uh, I mean, you know, it's interesting when I went to Bolton Film Festival, seeing shorts that sort of got an educational element to them that, that does raise awareness of an issue that isn't just for a kind of cinematic experience sort of entertainment in quotation marks but actually offers help and support to victims of things like that so I think you know mm. with all with all this fantasy escapism stuff like I think there's definitely room to make stuff that can be a a window into helping someone if they're so hard to to make those you know like with an educational value at the end because I think there's the fine line between like you say something a story that when you come out at the end you're like wow okay like this this man is suffering from this disease I didn't know about this and I didn't know about stalking and it's so hard to cross that into like something that could be a bit preachy and then when you're watching it you're like I'm not here to you know because you've got to entertain as well you've got to be really in the story but then yeah. do you find that because it seems like your films that's what you want to do right educate I, th- I well. think it's simply at the end offering helplines and support and websites and access points for people who have been affected by anything they've seen in that film mm. so it's not necessarily like a teacher coming out at the end and saying so ladies and gentlemen so what have we watched it? you know it's <laughs> not really like that it's just offering uh, a lifeline at the end the goal is not to sort of educate all the way through it's to present a very real story that yeah. i know for a fact happens <laughs> an awful lot and then at the end don't just leave people. Yeah. Allow the it's access like points. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like it's engaging them through the character and the story. Yeah. But it has this message intertwined in it. Yeah. And that's and really, I, I think, really. really and hard I guess, to do. I guess, the message is is the message is in actual factual statistics at the end. If there's a message, it's that this is the reality, and then if this is your reality, please. This, sure. These are these these avenues are available to help you hmm. do you um with the charities out of curiosity did you like reach out to them in the script stages to see what they thought and make sure you were like tonally on the right lines with what yeah you well as i said without going into too much detail i've got quite a bit of personal and otherwise experience with friends so mm-hmm. i felt very secure in that story because i i knew i knew that it was yeah, a reality yeah. um we didn't reach out to uh the charities um, until we had a treatment, a, a different treatment with the imagery and a bit more about tone and style and a bit more about what we were trying to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've had a really positive response, like really, really positive, which I'm <laughs> really pleased about. Um, and from it just the first cut, yeah, said, oh. yeah, but sorry, from, from the charities who, who are very much want to want to get on board and yeah, be yeah. a part of it so That's that great. that feels really 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 positive because yeah. you know i'm not precious you know even though we've spent money and made a film if if we did it and i was like this just this just doesn't work this feels a bit wrong we haven't quite yeah. got i would never i would never release yeah. it or put it out there ever i just go oh, well we screwed yeah, that one up totally. it's too delicate to to screw up it's so hard though yeah. like do you, we, we talked to someone last week and he he was saying if you are you know when you're making these shorts and if, especially if it's about something as um 
it was just as a hard topic that you've just taken on. It's like you've got to high, hold yourself as an artist to like really high standards because then you don't, you know, whoever's watching this might affect them. You know, I'm sure it will affect them. Um, yeah, so totally. I'm hoping that you, you balance that and, and, and totally. it correctly. I think really the truth of it is if I didn't have personal and also close friends who've had very similar experiences, I definitely wouldn't feel confident going into it I probably wouldn't touch it with a bloody stick mm, but mm. because of, of the experience I feel able to yeah, off, offer that in a, in a very real way can I, can I ask about um, so you shot obviously George on Super 8 and then you shot um, Good Morning on 35mm yeah. what was the what was involved in the decision there because obviously that's much more expensive <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that, right? yeah so yes that was a maybe Definitely the right decision because it was initially going to be digital. Do you say digital? Yeah. Um, um, we did a little test shoot day and I sort of got a good actor friend who I'd actually written the role of David for um, and he got a, got a job and he couldn't do it in the end. Um, but I'd shot on my little iPhone the style that I wanted the short to be in at the sort of because I want it to be super offbeat and kooky more like we were sort of in his head mentally in his sort of mental state we sort of we were seeing that visually um, so we did a screen a uh, test shoot day and I sort of got back and watched the rushes if we can call them rushes just the little bits that we'd got on the day and I just recognised that it was lacking it was lacking something it was lacking I just with film you get that kind of cackling sensibility uh, cackling crackling sort of sensibility of emotion it's such an emotional format and I felt like as it's such a the subject matter that you needed that emotional sensibility for this that digital was just not providing without us being really wacky with the camera movement it'd be nice to just sit the camera and just let something play out but it just does so much emotional work so it felt really important and now I was laughing with Chris the other day because he was like, well, now you've got to shoot all your shorts on, on film. And I was like, well, I'm going to be bankrupt <laughs> by, by Christmas. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just also, in all honesty, another thing was that I was looking at all these, when I was doing my sort of treatment, I was on shot deck finding all these images. I was thinking, what, what is it about these images that I love? And then I scrolled down and they're all on 35. All the there'll be blood in the Paul Thomas and all the you know the master and all the shots. I was like Terence Malick. I was like that's what it is. So I phoned producer Sophie and said, uh, I think we need to do this on film. She was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which one? Thirty five. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. conversation. Yeah. yeah. I thought maybe. Um, was there anything in this out of curiosity like because the room he's in is bare right there's nothing on the walls it's like it's just a blank in George room. or in no in, oh, oh in Good Morning in Good Morning yeah. yeah I thought maybe like when you said that before you know before we started having the conversation I was like I wonder if it's um, if there's anything because you know there's nothing on the walls there's nothing so if, if you were just to shoot that on digital that might look a yeah. bit stu studenty. Yes, totally. Or was yeah. there any? Was there anything? That, totally. I mean, there is actually stuff on the walls, but I know the shots that you're talking okay. to is sort of that we're a bit lower, so you can't quite see it. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, you, you touched upon it there, the kind of GCSE studenty thing. Also, when we're talking about this, going into that sort of educational realm, I just thought, I can't, yeah. we, we cannot go there with this. Yeah, um, totally see that. Yeah, so I just, it was just about covering all bases to, you know, another thing is that I never really wanted to see geography. So, you know, there's shots of walking down a street. I didn't really want to see the street. I didn't want to really see reality. I wanted us always to be in someone's head and it, the whole thing to be sort of disorientating and a bit weird and the timing's a bit off and mm. and I just, just felt like, like... put people on edge a little bit. Totally. Yeah, okay. a sort of a, a, an unsettling world from the beginning. Yeah, I think. Um, and I think f- we were best suited to do that with film. Interesting. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. Final question. Final question. Final yeah. Question. All right. Can I ask it? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So now we come on to our, our final question of the podcast, yes. which is, what is your favourite short film or a short film that's had a massive impact on you? Well, full disclosure here, yeah. I was never a short film person. Uh. Didn't watch any short films. Didn't know anything about short films except obviously I saw Chris won an Academy Award for his wonderful <laughs> short film Silent Child. Uh. So I suppose one that's had a huge impact on me is that film, okay. Silent Child. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I was there as a friend on the sidelines through his process, not having any idea what he was really going through as a filmmaker because I just didn't didn't realise now that I've done trod the sort of path, I know exactly yeah. what he was going through. Um, but yeah, I've obviously been introduced to the short film world the last sort of year or so. I saw... A really amazing film called An Avocado Pit at Bolton, which mm. blew my socks off. <laughs> An we Avocado Pit. Pit, yeah. It's okay. by a Portuguese filmmaker. And it's about a cis man um, who meets a trans woman in Lisbon. And they spend this night together dancing and drinking and exploring the city. And it just friggin' blew my head off. And it just completely, um, you know, I think what I recognised, the programme at Bolton was amazing, but maybe I'd alluded to it earlier, just everything looks beautiful. And it's going back to this whole thing about it's the story needs to be, it's the story that does, that makes something amazing. And this just blew away, like, I mean, it's such a cliche in terms of, you know, taking away all the labels and all that stuff, but this was just so special, this film. Um, and I think it's on available on BFI something. It's it's definitely available. Uh, I would urge everyone to go and to go and watch it. I reached out to the filmmaker this. after who wasn't at Bolton and just said, "Wow, you just really? blew my head off." Amazing. <laughs> and he and he really did. It was it was amazing performances and just special, so mm. special. Mm. So go and check it out. Yeah, yeah, an avocado so. pit BFI yeah. player I guess yeah, yeah. Amazing. Be player, yeah. amazing thank you so much Greg yeah that's really fascinating yeah, yeah you're the first like actor and director we've had on the podcast yeah. right. so yeah. it would be really nice to get that insight so. yeah I cool. guess Chris is an actor and director ah damn it yes well we're going to keep that in <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I really appreciate you having me on I really no, appreciate no, it no.